Welcome everybody to Pete Wide and the Middle your home for all things racing with me, Thomas Bernard, and of course, with me as always, my man, Keith Bradley. Keith, how's it going? What is up? Oh, not much. Um, actually, that's not really true. There's a whole lot going on. But in terms of, uh, you know, bad things, I guess there's nothing going on. Um, how was the uh, how was the family doctor's appointments yesterday? Uh, they were, you know, the usual, typical doctor's appointments. We had a checkup for one, doctor's appointment for two others. It just a jam-packed day. Had an asthma attack with one because the school seems like it's a good idea to play outside when there's an excessive heat warning. <laughs> and they strictly advised to not be outside, but hey, let's go outside. But what do we know? Yeah, it's been it's been insane here with the uh um heat and just craziness. It's, oh my god, dude, it has been so freaking hot. And this last week my brother decided to go on vacation. Okay, and I've been doing glass for eight months. I started in January, never done it before. Um, it's incredibly hard. A lot of the the body shops that we do work at and stuff, the people are blown away at 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 the at that fact because I I'm very good at it, and I don't know if I just am lucky, if I just happen to be a fast learner. I I don't know. I really don't. But it's incredibly hard. It's very, very hard. It's not easy. It's a lot of work. There's a lot you have to know. And a typical busy day for me is like is like four or five jobs, right? Where I have like four or five things to do, right? Cut a quarter glass out, replace a windshield, you know, and then install two quarter glasses and a back glass, right? Like that, that's a typical day for me. My brother went on vacation this week. He's on a cruise right now. I think they come back today or tomorrow. And he drove down to Los Angeles when Hurricane Hillary was hitting the coast. <laughs> he had an earthquake while he was driving down. His flight got canceled, so he had to drive, right? They get down there. They actually make it, which is good. And so now he's gone for the whole week. He probably picked the worst day or the worst week ever to go on vacation for me. Like I said, typically I average like four to five jobs a day, which if you look at that over the course of a week would be like, you know, 20 jobs. In the first two days, I did more than 20 jobs by myself. One day I had like four windshields, <laughs> two back glasses, like 10 quarter glasses, like something just absurd. I've done more work in the last four days than typically I've done in a couple of weeks. And I've had to do it all by myself. And it's been hella hot. And I've just been dying this week. <laughs> dying this week. It has been one of the longest weeks of my life. It is. <laughs> I cannot wait till it gets over. And I already know it's going to happen. Next week when my brother comes back, it's going to be hella slow. Because I've done all the work this week. So... You know how much fun that sounds? Oh my god, dude. Oh my. And look, here's the deal. I don't I don't hate it. Okay? I do enjoy the work somewhat. I actually don't mind the work. I don't I I hate the scheduling aspect of it, meaning where like a shop just calls and says, "Hey man, I got this job ready for you today." And I got to drive over there and do it. So, you can't plan a whole lot with them. We're like in my online business, right? Like if I, even though I have stuff that is released or done each week, I could do all of that over the course of three days and then be like, okay, I'm taking the rest of the week off. I can't do that with my glass business, right? It's, it's because when I pull glass out and they, they repair the car and stuff like that, I don't know how long it's going to take them to repair it. I don't know when they're going to have it painted. I don't know how long, you know what I mean? Like there's all these different factors that I can't predict. And so you're kind of, you know, although we own and operate our own business, we're more of along the lines of just like contractors to them. And it's decent money, but it 
but that aspect of it sucks. Like, I don't just want, you know, I'm at the age now where I don't just, I'm not just thinking about the money. Like, I want the freedom to go with it. Like, I, I want to be able to, you know, one of the reasons why I'll never go back and work for anybody else ever again in terms of, like, an actual, like, nine to five, you know, day job is because I hate the fact that I can't control my own schedule. And that's where I'm at with this, right? Is just, you know, I, I, I can't control my own schedule as much as I like to, and it sucks. And I already told my brother, cause he was like, well, damn dude, I'm sorry, man. I feel bad because it's, it's been so busy. I'm like, oh no, don't worry. <laughs> You'll have your chance to make up for it. And I'm like, guess who's going to be taking a vacation in the near future, buddy. So just be prepared to, uh, <laughs> just be prepared to run this, this yourself because it's, it's coming, it's going to happen. So. Anyways, yeah, that's that's been uh, my week, and it's been um, absolutely crazy. So, uh, but anyways, bunch of stuff to cover today. We had uh, got some dirt racing back underway. SmackDown kicked off last night at Kokomo. We got to cover that. A um, lot of lot of stuff happening on the sprint car side of things and the Outlaws, um, which I'm gonna actually talk about here in the open because. We alluded to it oh, well, about a month ago um, when he was in the points lead. David Gravel, we talked about it. Is this his chance to finally get over that hump and score a championship? We obviously know that David Gravel has speed, right? I mean, we see it all the time in qualifying. In fact, it was what? The King's Royal that brought up when, you know, he just happened to qualify at 37th or something, caught the invert and was able to get this awesome start. Um, usually he's one of the most prolific qualifiers on the outlaw tour. And if you had to wager on an outlaw driver scoring a quick time award, David Gravel in most tracks is probably going to be your best bet. The guy's insanely fast. The one thing that he's lacked is consistency. If you look at what his results are in terms of, you know, like a line graph, you're going to see a lot of really high peaks, but also a couple of really low lows. And this is what's cost him, in my opinion, in the championship standings. Now, keep in mind, we're still, you know, 30 races to go. I mean, there's still quite a ways to go, but if you look at the fall off that we've seen with gravel over these last few weeks, it's pretty shocking that he fell not just from the points lead, but he's all the way back in third now behind Carson Macedo, who's in second. Brad Sweet, who was second in points for, for a little bit there, is now got a 50-point lead over Carson Macedo and David Gravel. Sweet, who's got six wins on the season with 28 top fives and 43 top tens. He actually has less top fives than both Macedo and Gravel. And what's is, what is so shocking about that is if you remember last season, we talked about Sweet being Mr. Consistency. That was his thing, right? He only had a handful of wins. I think, what did he have, like three or four last year, Keith? Something like that. It wasn't a lot. Yeah. But his top fives and top tens was unparalleled the guy always finished up front and now we've seen him lose that this year but because gravels finishes when he's finishing outside the top 10 are so bad and he has had a really tough run of it these last couple weeks he has been able to lose the points lead and fall back to third What's interesting about all of this is that Sweet is going for what is his fifth championship in a row. And if you look at some of the runs that we've seen from people like Donnie Schatz or Steve Kinzer, there was usually a year in those runs where you would see that, hey, they're having a good season, but so-and-so, right? Like the year that Darren Pittman won, like, you know, just dude couldn't miss. He was on fire. Finished up front every damn near every single week, and he got the championship that year over shots. You look at the same thing with like a Steve Kinzer back when he was racing against you know Sammy Swindell and those guys, right? Those Swindell gets a championship. Kinzer still has a good year, but it's not what we had typically seen in terms of his dominance. Sweet's having a really good year. 
I think the competition level in the Outlaws right now, I think you could make the case, even though it doesn't have all of the big historical names that we know, because obviously it's not history yet, it's it's in our current times. Names like Kinzer, Swindell, Hoddenshield, Stevie Smith, Andy Hillenberg, right? you talk about those guys, those are like heralded figures in the world of Outlaws. There will come a time when, obviously Donnie Schatz, but there will come a time when Brad Sweet or Carson Macedo, Selzy, Shoehart, Gravel are going to be considered these historical figures in the Outlaws. And if you look at the competition now, I think you can make the argument that it's as good now as it has ever been. I can, I really believe that. I think if you look at where technology is, what these teams are doing in terms of how they run these operations, these are basically NASCAR Cup teams on dirt, right? When you really look at what it is that they're doing, right? The level of sophistication with their equipment, the teams that they have, you've got specialists operating on these cars, right? These are not these are not the guys that, you know, me and Keith were racing with, you know, 15, 20 years ago, where you show up in a pair of, you know, shorts and a t-shirt with a ball cap on, and you've got a, you know, a notebook that you bought from Walmart, you know, a, at the beginning of the season with your notes in, right? Like, this is not the case. These guys are professional level mechanics and crew chiefs. They know what they're doing. They know it at the highest level, and they operate that way. These teams cost tens of thousands of dollars to operate just on a weekly basis, right? When you start thinking about the fuel and the maintenance and stuff like that. So you can make the argument that it's never been tougher to win a championship. And what we're seeing right now to Brad Sweet, I believe, is one of the most historic things that we could ever see is him with the opportunity to win five in a row. And Gravel, we talked about this being his best shot. And I've got to tell you, I don't know if he blows it, whether or not he will be able to get over that hump because he had this thing and momentum was in his corner. And now it looks like it's done nothing but kick him in the junk and toss him to the back. All right, Keith, it's time for hit or miss. Are you uh, ready? Let's do it. All right. So first up. The 33% of people who voted the Watkins Glen race a good race are obviously either high or drunk. Hit or miss the mark. <laughs> and that's I mean, a play on words here, but yes. <laughs> a little fun with it, but... <laughs> I'm going to have to say it hits the mark. I mean, was it a good race in its own way? It was, but it was also very boring to watch. There wasn't much passing. And I think it's got a lot to do with how close the cars are, right? I mean, as far as speed goes... Nobody really truly had an advantage other than Willie B. And yeah, I, me personally, just looking at it, the only part that was exciting is to watch the downfall of Chase Elliott. I'm sorry, <laughs> folks. He's not making the playoffs. It just ain't going to happen. But no, I don't, I don't think it was a good race. And I agree with him. I'm with you, man. I don't think it was a very good race, neither. I don't get, um, I don't, I, you know, and look, the vast majority of people thought the race wasn't good, but there were people who thought that it was good, and I don't get it. I also don't get the fact that the week before, they, you know, 70% of the people thought Indy was a good race. Now, it was, you could make the argument that the last few laps was good because you have an unknown taking on, you know, what could be, who could be considered probably the best road course racer on the Cup Series and Chase Elliott, somebody who desperately needs a win. And the little guy comes out on top, right? McDowell comes out on top. It's David versus Goliath. It's one of those, you know, storylines that we all love. And David wins the day, right? That five, six laps was cool. The rest of the race sucked. There's just, there's nothing, there's nothing that you can tell to tell me that it's going to make that be any different, right? And for Watkins Glen, and I love Watkins Glen, I really do, but I think the racing is so has gotten so bad on these road courses. It is just horrendous. It's terrible. Horrible. It's it is horrible. I can't stand to watch it. It it's showing that there does not need to be seven road courses on the cup there schedule. There doesn't. There doesn't. And. It is also showing that when you when you create a car that is literally that drives so good on the road courses, 
guess what? Uh, you're going to get races like this. Because it, there's very little that separates them. These, these cars are so good. And the drivers have gotten good. This isn't how it was 20 years ago where there was only two road courses on the schedule. Right? This is, we've got, like you said, Keith, we got seven of them. And these guys are spending a lot of time in the sim. They're testing, they're practicing. And road course racing has become a big part of NASCAR, which is fine. That's whatever. But when you basically take your car and you turn it into a road course car, you've basically got a sports car out there. These guys are racing in an IMSA car, right? A mix between an IMSA car and a, and a V8 supercar. I, you're going to get this kind of road racing. It's just yep. it's it's just too close. And, it's it's ridiculous. And I don't think anything will ever change it. I really don't. And I don't see where and how it would change. But I I know what I would change. I wouldn't be making the roval in the playoffs. I would no, call I would do that. And yep. we'd be running the the oval. Yep, I would year. be I would do that too. So speaking of changes, NASCAR needs to develop a next gen 1.1 which is what i'm just labeling their new road course and short track car hit or miss the mark essentially they I need mean, to develop a different car for these types of races <laughs> I, I think it hits the mark i mean something has to change there's yes. there's got to be some changes made somewhere whether it's the car a brand new car something's got to change whether it's the tires the horsepower the gearing I mean, there, there's a lot of equations. Everybody has a lot of ideas. Now it's just a matter of NASCAR putting it all together. Something yeah. needs to change because the road courses freaking suck. Short yeah. track suck. And there's only a, a handful of ovals that are really good with this car. And unfortunately, we're taking one and we're turning it into a short track. That sucks. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Um, yeah, I've heard people say, well, look, they need to get rid of more downforce. I don't think that's what you need to do. In fact, I actually think you need to go the other way in terms of the downforce. Um, I was watching a, like a, it, I can't remember what they, they call it, like tech corner or tech talk or something like that. It, it was on F1 cars. Um, because I, I love Formula One. One of the reasons I love it is because of the technical aspect of the cars. You essentially have, you know, nasa spaceships racing around a track like them when it comes to the technology of them and they were talking about the downforce why downforce is so important for those cars but also how the downforce affects the tires on those cars and the downforce is what you know the reason why they they pay so much attention is not just because of the handling but it also is a huge factor in the tire wear i think we can make the case if you actually look at what's happened removing the downforce from the short tracks and the road courses i think the tire wear has gotten worse there the tires are hardly falling off at all and the racing has gotten worse i don't think removing the downforce has done any, i think it's made the product worse i think you could honestly make that case um it's horrible i don't even know what else to call it they have to do something whether it's develop a just a completely 180 degree different package for this car increase the horsepower we've talked about that so much this season it's it's nauseating to even bring it up anymore i don't understand how they can look nascar's always done this okay especially over the last you know couple decades where it's like hey this was great this was a hit well let's do 10 of them right road course racing started becoming cool and it was one of the best forms of racing in nascar well let's not have four of them let's have seven and now we've got seven road courses and the racing sucks and the one thing that we want is kids like dude can we get some more mile and a half back please like you had all those on the schedule and that car sucked on the mile and a half and now we've got all these they're the best these cars are the best on these mile and a half we don't have enough of them so as always nascar feels like it's it's it, you know 
it's just an hour late and a dollar short. You know what I mean? Just all the time. And they've got to do something. They cannot, you cannot go into 2024 with this same package, with just the same problems on the short tracks and the road courses. You cannot do it because if they're wanting to preserve the long-term survivability of this sport, right? And they talk about all these new, the, the new TV package and the new money and all stuff like this. Nobody wants to watch this. Nobody does, right? I, I can make the argument that like I need to watch this for the podcast, but folks, I'm not watching that whole race. I'm turning it off halfway through, and I'm like, I'm gonna do something else the rest of today, and I'll watch this later, you know, when I have to. Like that's how bad Watkins Glen was. I didn't even want to watch it. It was like this sucks. Better things to do on my Sunday. So. Yeah, I'm with you, Keith. They got to do something because it's just, it's horrible. It's horrible. All right, moving on. Got Daytona this week, the last regular season points race this week. And it's going to be, uh, it's going to be drama filled. I, uh, I'm actually looking forward to it. Um, so with that being said, I pretty much already know the answer to your to your I pretty much already know your answer but we got to ask it because it's what everybody is asking Chase Elliott will not make the playoffs in Daytona hit or miss the mark I think it hits the mark at this point I mean I hate to prey on somebody's downfall it just it ain't gonna happen there there's been too many things this season that has happened to Chase Elliott whether it's injury penalty another uh, well, you might as well say a suspension. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't see it. He's not, I'm not going to say he's a terrible super speedway racer, but he's not that great either. And mm-hmm. and to go into a, a race that has a lot of unknowns because you got guys racing for playoff position, not only on the driver side, but the team points or the owner side, I think... There's going to be some moves made in this race that aren't typically made, say, in the Daytona 500. There's a lot on the line, and I think we're going to see some desperation moves that take out some key guys. And I just I don't see it happening for Chase Elliott. I really don't. Yeah, I uh, I don't either. I'm with you. I He's not. The, the Hendrick cars are usually always fast at Daytona and Talladega, but I don't see him winning the race and getting in. That's the only way he's going to get in. He's He has to win the race. He has to. I, I'm just not seeing it. Um, I don't... I don't... Um, I don't know how they're going to be able to swing it. You know, if it was just Chase Elliott that needed to get into the playoffs from Hendrick, I could see that, right? You got three other drivers. Hey, we're working this week to get Chase in, right? We, Our goal is to push him to the front so he gets the win and gets into the playoffs. I can see that, but you don't have three. You've only got two, Byron and Larson. Bowman's also on the outside looking in. You guys remember when Bowman was leading the points? Right, That feels like a lifetime ago, right? But he was leading the points. He had actually got off to a really good start on the year, and it has really fallen apart since his injury. And he is also on the outside looking in. And one of those guys, you know, you can't you can't do that strategy when you have when when fifty percent of the team needs a win. So. I don't know how they're going to swing it. I don't see him making it in. I actually, you know, I think you're going to see in terms of drivers getting in without wins. I think you're going to see Harvick, Wallace, and Keselowski getting in. I don't see a a new winner this week. Um, and, now, and I, obviously, we were shocked last season when Dylan got in, but I, I don't see that happening again this year. And I don't. I think... The odds of Eric Almirola making it in are higher than Chase Elliott's just because Eric Almirola is a better super speedway racer. Yes. But, I mean, I guess try again next season, Chase. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't, um, I just, 
yeah, I just don't see it. Don't see it. I don't think it's uh I don't think it's gonna happen for him. So anyways, that's gonna do it all for the hit or miss part of the show. Um we will be back after the break for our NASCAR pick'em and our dirt track recap. So stick around. All right, so it is now time for our dirt track recap. Uh, we got SmackDown kicked off last night. Keith, did you watch the race last night? Yes, I did. What a race. It was a pretty good I, race. I got to tell you, I don't... God damn, dude. When Justin Grant is on, he is in fast, dude. That They are so good. Lights out. Yeah, so good. It's insane. Um, you know, Bacon was obviously fast, but I don't think I don't think he was going to have anything for for Justin Grant. I just don't. Um, same thing, Baloo. I mean, Baloo was working himself through the field, uh, and he was fast. But once again, I don't see them having anything for Grant. Grant was just on last night, man. And that car that he had when when they got that car dialed in like that, I I think he's the best non-wing racer in the country i really do i completely agree with that yeah. so <laughs> he was he was just oof, on it so had that um last weekend if you remember we had the jackson nationals mcfadden won night one and night two and had actually jumped out to the lead on night number three and then macedo ended up getting the win um actually saw a really good battle there with uh Brad Sweet and Carson Macedo there the last few laps. It was a really, really good race, and Macedo ended up getting getting the win, which propelled Sweet, you know, after that weekend. Now into the points lead. Macedo is now second in points, 50 behind uh, Sweet, and then you've got Gravel in third, 60 behind. It's still just a three-car race or three-driver race. Um Logan Schuhart is fourth in points and he's 288 points back. He would, I mean, there would need to be a catastrophic failure um, for the top three for anybody else to have a shot. Uh, if you look at Macedo's season on the whole so far, he's got five wins, 32 top fives, and 43 top tens. Uh, Gravel, we talked about before, did not have a great weekend, fell back in the points. He's got Gravel's got 10 wins on the season, 34 top fives and 42 top tens. He's got the most wins. He's got the most top fives, and he's only one top 10 back of Macedo and Sweet. The problem is, is his lows are really, really low. Like miss the feature or make the feature and finish dead last. Like, I mean, it's just bad. So uh, Keith, do you think you think Gravel has a shot at winning the championship this year? I think it's over. I think he's done. Uh, I want to say yes, but I also want to say no. But I, th I think in order for him to have a shot, they're going to have to be perfect from the time they unload the car to the time they go to wash the car. Yeah, and they're gonna have to do it from now till the finals. If not, mm -hmm. it's definitely over. Yep. Um, man, that's tough because, I mean, he's still right there. I mean, yeah, it's sixty points. He can make up sixty points fairly quick. Yep. But I also wouldn't count out Brad Sweet. I mean, defending champion for a reason, right? Uh, yes. Uh, Brad Sweet wins again. I I think it's over. I really do. Yeah, my, my half's telling me to to say it's over. I just it's tough. Yeah. I I think Sweet is going to get the championship again. Um, I think he'll make it five in a row. Obviously, think... only two drivers have ever done that before. That was Kinzer and and Shots. I think Sweet's going to join that this year. I think Macedo has a better shot than David Gravel. I actually think so at this time too. I think Gravel is just, I think he's just too hot and cold, right? Like, he's got to bring that floor up somehow, and I don't know how he does it, but he's got to do gotta, it. And they got to do it quick. Yes. They've got to do it very quick. Yep. And and I, I think we talked about it last season on the podcast that 
Sheldon Hodgenshield was the same way. And that's what David Gravel starting to remind me of is that 17 car when they're on, they're on, but when they're off, they are off and they're struggling. And this is when it's important to unload good and to wash your car and be good at that too. I mean, you got to be miles ahead of the other two. And right now I think they're miles behind. Yes. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's what it feels like. Um, and I hate to say that because David Gravel was one of my picks to win the championship this year. I just, you can't be this streaky. No, you can't. No, you can't. And look, you know, that's the thing that we talked about last year with Brad Sweet. Remember when he was, when he was struggling, when Brad Sweet was struggling, but he was still getting consistent finishes he wasn't winning races but he was consistently finishing in the top 10 and yeah. then he got hot that second half started and, winning some races and it was over and the good thing is is brad sweet's been there how many times yes so they they know exactly what they need to do yep and, and they can click in that championship for form mm-hmm. right now and I, I think once when he's locked in he's locked in and there's no beating him i just i think it's gonna be tough I'm with you. I think so too. Um, he, yeah, he just seems to be on. Um, you know, I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know how, uh, you can win a championship when you're, when your lows are that low. I just don't understand it. So, anyways, still got a lot of racing to see uh, or to do, but. Uh, moving on, we talked about it uh, last week. Obviously, Tanner Holmes got his big big shot, right? We got his shot to run the Outlaws the rest of the season in the 1A car, which is now, I think they call it the 1T car. <laughs> um, and uh, he has... Uh, he is not disappointed. Um, you know, you look at last week's Jackson Nationals, um, he did good. Uh he got a podium, right? Had quick time. Uh definitely has just come right in and definitely looking like he belongs on the Outlaw Tour. And keep in mind the West Coast swing is coming up here just in a couple of weeks. And you know, they've got you look at um where they're at in terms of their the schedule, you know, you've got the the Northern Tour, the whole River Cities, Red River Valley, and then after that, they're heading out west. They've got the Skagit Nationals, or what do they call it now? The Sage Fruit Nationals, I think, up in Washington. Um, they've got Grace Harbor, and then they come down into California. You've got Silver Dollar Speedway for the Gold Cup Race of Champions. You've got Hanford. You've got Placerville before they go back out to the midwest and then you know it's the you got the before the crowns and you know national open and all that stuff like that but we're getting into the you know the the end of the let me rephrase that we're getting into what will be right towards the end of the season but the west coast swing where i think tanner holmes has a chance to really shine Keith, you think you think Tanner Holmes could pop off an outlaw win on the on the West Coast swing? I don't think I would be surprised if he did, to be honest with you. He's he's excelling in that car. He is. And a he's a lot better in that car than what I ever imagined he would be. I figured there'd be a couple bumps in the road, and there still might be, right? Yes, of course. But the confidence that that builds when a team owner like Bobby Allen approaches you after the Knoxville Nationals, that's a momentum builder. Mm-hmm. And we all know if you if you get momentum on your side, there there's no turning back. Yeah, uh, they're going to tracks that he's pretty strong at. So I yes, wouldn't I count mean, him out. I mean, you know, you could make the case they're his home tracks, right? Like this is the these are the tracks that he's raced on so, continuously. What I'm most interested about in this whole ordeal, if he rips off a couple wins, do you think they bring him back in that car next year? I I would have to open the door about possibly bringing a third car, right? I don't know how you I don't know how you wouldn't want 
him to continue. I really well, don't. I you know he's one of those drivers where and look, don't get it twisted. He's not Corey Day, right? To me, I still have him as my number one prospect. But Tanner Holmes is probably two or three. He's really really good, and you're seeing it now. I don't know how you would not want to have him in a car moving forward, right? If you've got that kind of opportunity. And if anything, this is a big audition for other teams. Yes, that's exactly. And and that's the biggest thing. Like, take this in stride. Don't falter. But if you do, it's going to happen. You're you're new to the, I'm going to say, the outlaw swing. Dude, he's like 17 or 18. He's a kid. (laughs) But he is going to open up so many doors for next season. Like one of one of those bigger teams, say they lose a driver. Yeah. Well, they could call Tanner Holmes. He's shown that he can run with the best of them. And he showed me last weekend in the Jackson Nationals that the dude's got it. The kid's got it. Yeah. I had my doubts with him at first, but I'm telling you, I think I'm with you, though. Corey Day, number one prospect. Tanner Holmes has to be too, right? I, I mean, I've, yeah, I mean, I would have considered him, uh, I would have considered him, you know, in the top three in terms oh, of, 100%. in terms of, uh, you know, up and coming. Um, I think, I think he's like 19, maybe he might be 20. I, I, that seems, I can't believe he might be 20 already. It feels like and, I've been watching him forever. So though, though, that's why I'm thinking he might be 20, but I guess I could look it up, huh? That would be probably and, the smartest thing to do. Yeah, he's 20. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, but that's so young. That's it is. So young. And that's what they want in racing. They want these younger guys and he's he's young. Mhm. Yep. And well, and I not think... only that, but if you look at and I know this is one of the reasons why I think people throw a lot of shade at him. But if you look at what he brings you in terms of also exposure and sponsorship potential it's it's kind of insane right he has a very very good social media following um from my understanding he actually makes pretty good money doing it and i don't i don't say that because of the money i say that to to tell you to to kind of make the correlation that if you're making, you know, seven, eight, nine thousand dollars a month off of like YouTube, the the amount of subscribers and views that you have to be bringing in is a lot. Okay. It's a lot. Keep in mind I, you know, I I, I bring in a few hundred dollars a month off of YouTube. Okay. <laughs> I've got like ten thousand subscribers on my channel. Right. I get I don't I don't know how many views it is, but when you talk about, you know, an ad view being like two cents, three cents. Right. And then you look at like, hey, I'm making, you know, eight grand, ten grand a month or whatever it is that Tanner Holmes is making. He had, I would imagine he's probably somewhere around in there. That's a big following. That's a lot of eyeballs. And we've talked about this, you know, this sponsorship model in racing. And when you can get that kind of exposure and the kids got legit talent. That is a hard thing to pass up. I don't know how if he finishes this year off super strong. I don't know how Shark Racing could not bring him back. I would I would have to think something would be on the table, right? If you could bring in a sponsor who could help get that thing going like a, another big sponsor, that could be a three-car team. I, I, because I, that's what I would be wanting to do. That's what I would be thinking about doing. Is yeah, how, how could, can we get another team for this kid? You could throw Jacob in a part-time car. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that, that's the way I feel. The way it comes off that he just wants to run part-time. Yes. Um, which I at the time I said it hurt his own team, then it's helping him. Yeah. But now it's kind of like, is it really hurting him? Because the one T hasn't missed a beat. No, it has not. And and I'm not going to say that Jacob Allen was a world beater, but last season, really strong. He had a great season last season, yeah. Awesome season. And then now we see the struggles Mm -hmm. that racing takes on the body and your mental health. I don't... His stock in my eyes went down. 
and now it's really far down because Tanner Holmes is performing really well in that car. I mean, a podium and I think two top tens the rest of the weekend. Yeah. Plus a quick time and yeah. and the car has been fast, has been really fast. Yeah. And, I... and then you throw in the YouTube stuff on top of it. Hell, the the 1A sponsors might eat that up and say, hey, what do we need to do to bring this kid back? That's what I'm saying. You know, that's and, and Bobby Allen deal. might even, I mean, well, let's face it. Bobby Allen has an eye for talent. The man has been around sprint car racing his entire life. He yes. may even be like, well, we'll just bring him back next season. Yep. Cause, cause let's face it. This, this is a business and it's also a family team. And you almost got to treat it like a business at this point. I mean, yeah, I get it. Jacob Allen is related to Bobby Allen, the team owner, but sometimes got to swallow a tough pill. And I think this is going to be something to watch as the off season progresses. Mm -hmm. Yep. I don't think it can be overstated how much this new tire has screwed up some teams out there. Um, oh, agreed. It's you look at some of these teams, right? I mean, look at the 69K team, right? The Kreitz team. I mean, they fell off a cliff. You had Lance DeWeese literally winning outlaw races last year. They new tire and they it's like they could not they couldn't find their ass with both hands. You know what I mean? Like it's just they were like lost. You look at Jacob Allen last year Right, and with that team, four wins. I mean, it's not like he was competing for a championship, but he had a very, very good season. There was races where he was on it, and this year they have been horrible, and it's taken a toll. And obviously, it's when stuff goes bad, it can compound and get worse, and that's a lot of times what happens. That's why things do end up getting so bad. But you look at just the clip that they fell off of. I think they're another victim of this tire. I, I think this tire has really screwed up some teams out there and they've really struggled with it. And I think the 1A car is one of those victims of it because it seems to have really hurt them. And um, obviously, you know, when you start talking about the toll it takes on people physically and mentally and stuff like that, that's a, that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, the, Tanner Holmes has definitely taken advantage of this opportunity and, uh, I will not be shocked if he pops off a win on the Outlaws West Coast swing. I would not be shocked if, if both him and Corey Day get a win. I think that is 100% possible. So, I agree. I'm looking, definitely looking forward to it. Um, speaking of the cost of things, um, our man Timez had a really interesting video that he put out on his YouTube channel on the financial side of midget racing. Keith, did you see this? I've not gotten to sit down and watch okay, it. Okay, so the video, the thumbnail of the video is something along the lines of racing. I, I want to say it's like racing, racing with daddy's money. Racing with daddy's money, I think is what the thumbnail is. And that makes it sound, the thumbnail does not do a great job of actually talking about what is covered in that video because he doesn't just talk about racing with daddy's money. And he does share the story about when he started midget racing and what his dad spent to get them going and what they spent, you know, per year running it. And folks, keep in mind, this is when I was racing again. And I wasn't driving, but when I was a mechanic, our team, when we were racing against Mesrol, Mesrol was running out here on the West Coast. He was running USAC Western States. When he was cutting his teeth in the midgets, we were running against him. And he was good. He was really good. Right When he started figuring out, he was good. He was actually really good on asphalt. I talk about it all the time. He used to just whip our asses on asphalt because... A lot of the guys out here were not asphalt drivers. Um, asphalt midget racing had really kind of slowed down quite a bit. You were starting to see less and less of it. There was only a couple of asphalt races on the schedule back then with the Western States. And 
you know, it was essentially like Stockton, Madeira, and then you had, you know, back when they ran Turkey Night at Irwindale, right? Like, they, that was really it. So, and then you had, like, the Copper World Classic, right, you know, at Phoenix. So, that was kind of it. There wasn't a whole lot of asphalt racing going on. And when we would go to these asphalt races, Ezreal would kick our ass. Um, you know, you could see it. Now, he was also really good on dirt. Um, he was just good. But I remember that time when he was talking about coming up and he talked about these how much midget racing has changed and he's 100% correct you know you think back to what USAC midgets were right i mean and you think back to remember the 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 names the drivers the USAC midgets were really that was kind of, remember when that was like the hotbed for NASCAR talent, right? I mean, think about it. You had Kenny Irwin Jr., Jason Leffer, J.J. Yaley, Tony Stewart, Jeff Gordon, Casey Kane, Ryan Newman, right? Think about the names that came up through the USAC midgets. That's where you, like, that was the new thing, right? Jeff Gordon and Tony Stewart, when those guys came through, and then showed to be championship level talents in NASCAR. NASCAR really started looking at this and it's like, dude, this is where we got to go to get our our talent. We can't go get these these wing sprint car guys, right? They're they're not working out, right? We got to go get these guys who can run, you know, the asphalt and the dirt and these little midgets, these silver crown cars, sprint cars, that type of thing. And now they don't. You sack, you know, they they ain't running asphalt no more. It's just dirt. And you've got now these kids who were coming up. And Meserol talked about how they're buying these rides. And you can buy a ride with Keith Coons for $300,000 to $350,000 a year. And what I thought was interesting, Keith, is if... I, 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 as soon as I watched that video, I wanted to talk to you about this because it poses an interesting question. If you have a kid who has talent, you, you, you're, we're not talking about the irrational parent who thinks their kid's going to be the next, you know, Jimmy Johnson, and they're not very good, right? We're not talking about that. We've all seen that kid before who's coming up and he wins, he's decent, but it's because he's in the Cadillac, right? He's in the Ferrari of equipment versus everybody else who's in kind of the AMC Pacer. You know what I mean? Like, that kid's going to find victory lane just because his stuff is that much better. We've seen that. Although that gap has, it's hard to have that canyon like it used to be, it can still happen. But your kid has legit talent, and you think they can go somewhere. Do you think it's easier to just go out and buy a ride like that? I think it's I think it's really interesting because I would have to tell you right now, if my my son's 10, if you know, six, seven, eight years from now, I'm like, damn, I think he might be able to do something with this dirt race and stuff. Is it easier for me to just write a check and have him go with the with the Keith Coons? And I get the crew, the the cars, the equipment, the knowledge, right? The notebook. Think about how valuable Keith Coons's notebook is, right? I mean, that thing's worth its weight. Screw gold. It's like worth its weight in, you know, cobalt. I mean, it's, 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 it's some rare precious metal we haven't even found yet. I mean, it's, it's, it would be incredible. I heard a lot of people saying like, that's crazy. That's too much money. I don't think that's that. I don't think that's that expensive. If you've got that, if you've got the money to do, what's your thoughts on that, Keith? Well, I don't think it, I don't think they're looking at the bigger picture because not only would you get everything that you just said, but you'd get doors open with Toyota racing. Yes. With Toyota racing development. And if your kid has the talent, has the mm -hmm. raw talent the potential to be the next big thing, why wouldn't you? Yes. Why wouldn't you? Because you, you would basically just put yourself and your child into a prime position to make it to damn near wherever you want to go in racing. It's the fast track. I mean, with Kyle Larson did it. Yep. Kyle yep. Larson did it with Keith Coons. Yep. It's exactly how he, I'm not going to say it's how he got where he got, but nobody would know Kyle Larson if it wasn't for the rides that he stepped in, that he stepped in. 
And, and if you could propel your child to the next level by doing that, by all means, do it, go for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I hate the fact that it's daddy's money, but if you got it, do it. Yeah. I can't fall dumb not to, I mean, you, you couldn't because what if, what if something happens and you go out and you set the world on fire? Now you got Toyota racing like, hey, let's start talking. Yep, exactly. And look, I thought it was really cool in the video. Mesrol was, you know, Tinez was very open and honest, honest about it. And he said, look, dude, I'm jealous of it, right? I'm jealous of it. And I think it's awesome for him to say that because here's the deal. And although... We don't want to admit it. Uh, admit it. None of us do. Whether you race just outlaw carts like me and always dreamed of racing something bigger, or actually race sprint cars like you, Keith, or whatever, we are all jealous of it. Do you know what I would give back when I was racing to be able to have my folks just cut a check for 350k, and now I'm in a top USAC midget ride? Do you know? I, oh my God! Do you know how bad I would want that? I mean, seriously, when I heard him talking about that, I started thinking, I was like, God dang, I need to build a couple of midget teams and start farming it out to some rich people. What am I doing? Like, yeah, I'm that's what I need. Business. I'm in the wrong business. You know what I mean? Because I start looking at it and it's like, I'm pretty good when it comes to the business aspect side of stuff. I bet I could write a lot of this stuff off. I bet I could actually make money doing this. And you look at what Keith Coons is doing and the number of cars he brings out and how many of those rides are bought and just be... And here's the deal. Just because they're they're bought does not mean the drivers are not good. That's that's the most important thing. You don't you are basically setting it up to where you don't have to bring anything to the table, right? I remember we had a ride that we would sell out and it was I want to say it was 500 bucks a night or $1000 a weekend or something like that. And essentially you got to show up, you know, right? we did all the work on the car, we prepped it, we did everything. You just showed up and drove the car. And I was usually the guy who was going to be wrenching your car, right? Obviously, Terry was the, was the head. He was the car owner and the head guy, and he called the final shots. But it was going to be me that you were talking to, right? When I would, when you got out the car, hey, how's the car working? It's, you know, it's rolling over too much, getting into one, and it's on the right rear too much. We need to, you know, I need, to, I need that to not roll so hard, maybe get some more left rear drive coming off. Okay, sweet. All right, let me go talk to Terry. We'll get this thing dialed in for you, right? Like that, that was how it worked. And you look at that option now where you can spend a couple thousand dollars per race, or you can just cut a check for $300,000, $350,000. And you're with, essentially you're buying a ride at the Hendrick Motorsports of USAC Midget Racing. I don't, I don't see how that's a bad thing. And, you know, we talk about how expensive racing has become. It's incredibly expensive on every level. I mean, you look at some of these micro, these micro sprints and stuff like that. I mean, these guys are spending, dude, the amount of money that it costs to run those at a high level is insane. And those guys, folks, those guys are not winning. It's, it's not 10 grand to win in those races, right? You're talking, it's like a thousand bucks. So you know, on the USAC side of things where these guys are making, what is it? You know, four, five grand maybe to win, right? I mean, obviously they got their bigger shows, but for the most part, $4,000 to win. You know, Mesorel talked about, you know, he's one of the few guys who he gets paid to drive. Now, obviously he gets, the way that he gets paid is he gets a percentage of his winnings. That's what you got with like the, you know, Mesrols or the Justin Grants or Logan Seavey, you know, all these top drivers. We can go on and on and on and on. But a lot of these guys who are buying these rides are very, very good. And when you can fast track yourself and you have the opportunity to not only put yourself in the top level ride, but then also compete for a championship, I, I think it's hard to pass up. And I thought it was a really good video by him. And I was um, I was really intrigued by it. And I'm glad he did it because we've talked a lot this season about the cost of racing and stuff like that. So I thought it was really, really cool to see that. Um, a final note on it, I was shocked at the cost of a midget. I would not have guessed that it cost about $90,000 to, to, to put together one of those cars at yeah. that level 
which to me is insane because if you look at it based solely on a business standpoint, right? You can spend 90 grand on a USAC midget and go out and race, right? USAC, right? Even if you look at the extreme outlaws, okay? They make a little bit more money. Great. Awesome. But the USAC stuff, right? You're talking like we just talked about four or five K to win. Or I can spend $30,000 more and build myself a 410 sprint car and compete for much higher purses. It's, you know, when I heard that, I'm like, well, Jesus, it's no wonder why all these guys are going freaking wing racing. You can get it. Your initial investment is more, but what you can make on the back end is way better. You look at some of the wing sprint car races, they're making more money just to make the feature than some of these USAC races are paying to win. So yeah. <laughs> I was shocked by that. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know why anybody would want to do this unless you are doing something like a Keith Coons where you're going to be renting these things out for way more than a quarter of a million dollars every year. So yeah, it was a really interesting video. If you have not watched it, I recommend you do so because if you're if you're a nerd like me or interested in this stuff and you just want to know more about the financials of it, Mesrel did a really good job of breaking it down. It was really, really cool. So hats off to him. But that's going to do it for our Dirt Track recap. Really quick here, before we wrap things up, we're going to do our NASCAR Pick'em. Surprise, surprise, Keith, you won last week. What a shocker. Um, Suarez <laughs> did not perform well on the road course. Truex Jr. had a pretty decent run. Um, so, yeah, uh, tough break for me. Um, I have a fish. I, I mean, I lost the chance to win the regular season a long time ago. But anyways, we are heading into our last week in the regular season. And we've got... Daytona ahead of us. So, Keith, who is your pick for Daytona? I'm going to go with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. That is obviously a very intelligent pick as he has already won this year at Daytona. Um... I honestly don't know who who to pick. Uh, I don't know who I have picked and who I haven't picked. Let's see. Hmm. You know what? Did I already pick? Yes, I did. Okay. So you know what? I'm going to pick. Austin Dillon. He won here last year. See if he's got the magic to do it again. So. I like it. Yeah. But that's going to do it all for this week. A uh, little bit shorter episode. Unfortunately, I, I've got an out-of-town job I got to get going to. I'm already running six minutes behind. So, so yeah. But anyways, that's going to do it all for this week. Please continue to download, like, share, subscribe, all that other good stuff. Um do all that for us and we will be back here next week to do this all over again so keith my man have a good weekend enjoy the rest of smackdown we'll do and you have a good weekend too i will i will i'm looking forward to it man i'm going to actually have this weekend off i cannot awesome. wait awesome. i cannot wait i've almost made it to i'll almost have made it to double digit days off this year i can't wait it's going to be awesome i'm going to do some much needed r and r i'm going to do nothing and I cannot wait. I wouldn't wait. do a damn thing. Yeah, I cannot wait. It's going to be so I'd great. sit on the couch and I wouldn't move. Yeah, I'd even that's sleep my, on the couch. That's my it. plan is to do nothing. <laughs> now, we all know how that usually works when you have a significant other. I'm sure my wife has a whole host of things that she wants me to do. So, yeah. You're sick. I'm just going to have to. I'm telling her tomorrow or today when I get home from work, uh, babe, I'm not doing a fucking thing. So, please don't ask because I don't want to have to tell you no. So anyways, we'll be back next week to do it all over again. So until then, as always, take care.